everybody. My name is Molly Manning and I am a lecturer on the speech and language therapy program at the University of Limerick. And you're really welcome to this edition of IASLT In Conversation podcast, where we are going to be focusing on aphasia awareness and really delighted to be joined by a fabulous lineup of panel members who are all extensively experienced in the fields of uh, services, policy, practice, um, community awareness and aphasia advocacy more generally. So I'm going to introduce everybody now or ask everybody to introduce themselves, starting with my co-facilitator, Dr. Ruth McMenamin. Hello, everyone. Um, my name is Ruth McManaman, and like Molly, I'm a lecturer in aphasia. I'm based in NUI Galway, and I'm co-lead for public and patient involvement, the IGNITE programme at NUI Galway. Delighted to be co-facilitating this panel today. We have an excellent panel of speakers, and I'm really looking forward to hearing their thoughts on raising awareness of aphasia in Ireland. Thank you. Thank you, Ruth. And Aoife Carolyn, I'll ask you to introduce yourself, please. Hello, everyone. Aoife Carolyn is my name, and I'm delighted to be here today with my colleagues on the panel. Um, I'm involved in aphasia awareness in a few different ways. I have over 15 years experience working as a clinician across mainly community services, but I ha have some acute background as well. And I've learned a lot from the people I, I work with, I've worked with over the years and their families. I'm also a member of the National Stroke Council. I am the co-lead of the IASLT Supporting Emotions with Aphasia Interdisciplinary Community of Practice. And I'm also involved in advocacy work and awareness raising around the topic of aphasia through my voluntary work with IASLT on the web committee. And I'm also chairperson of the IASLT media committee. So I'm delighted to be here today with you all. Thank you, Aoife. And Larry Masterson, I'd like to introduce, introduce yourself. Yeah, thank you very much. My name is Larry Masterson. I'm a stroke survivor uh, and a person with aphasia. I'm a founder member of the Different Strokes for Different Folks group. And um, I'm looking forward to this uh, discussion today. Thank, thank you. Larry. And Maeve Larkin. Hello, everyone. Um, my name is Maeve Larkin. I'm a speech and language therapist. I'm here today to discuss some research that I carried out with Ruth, uh, Kate Faherty and Laura Loftus on public awareness of aphasia. Um, I'd really like to thank Molly and Ruth and everyone on the panel for the opportunity to discuss this. And I'm really looking forward to learning um, from everyone here on the panel today. Thank you, Maeve. And now Martin Quinn. Hello, everyone. I'm delighted to be here on the panel and I'm Martin Quinn from Tipperary. I suffered a stroke in 2013 with resultant aphasia. And I have been advocating since then for better services for people with stroke and aphasia. I'm a member of the Irish National Audit of Stroke Governance Committee and the PPI Ignite Network Public Advisory Board. Thank you, Martin. 
And finally, we have Dr. Helen Kelly. Hi, everybody, and thank you for inviting me to be part of um, this wonderful discussion about aphasia awareness. I'm a speech and language therapist, and um, I'm a lecturer at University College Cork. And my area of clinical experience at research and teaching is mainly focused on aphasia. I set up and run the Aphasia Cafe um, with my speech and language therapy students, and I'm involved in other groups um, that try to promote aphasia awareness. For example, um, I lead a small group, um, which I, I call them the triple A, Aphasia Awareness and Advocacy Group, and um, Molly, Martin and Larry are part of this group as well, to try and brainstorm and think about how we might raise awareness of aphasia. Thanks so much, Helen, and you're all very welcome. I'm really delighted to have this diverse uh, panel of different speakers who are so active in this area and to share your perspectives and to learn from you all as well. Um, I think it's really important at the outset, because we are talking about aphasia awareness, to give a little bit of background about what is aphasia. And because we have different perspectives on here, I think it would be interesting for us to hear some different perspectives around what is aphasia. So Aoife, Carolyn, I wonder if you might um, tell us about your perspective. And no problem, Molly. I'm here today because I'm so passionate about getting the word aphasia out there. And it astounds me how many people sit in front of me who are living with aphasia, but they don't know the name of their diagnosis. So they could be living with aphasia for years, but nobody ever named it. Nobody ever said the word aphasia to them. So I suppose that's why I'm so passionate about getting the word out there. But just to say, I don't have aphasia, so I'm not really an expert, but I have learned everything I know from my work with um, people with aphasia and their families. But I, I'll give you a brief overview of what I believe aphasia is. Um, so it affects one in three people after a stroke. And I suppose it's worth bearing in mind <clears throat> that after a stroke, about 66 people will present, or 66% of people will present with an acquired communication difficulty. And that incorporates motor speech disorders as well. Um, so aphasia itself is different for everybody who's living with it. Um, and it can involve difficulty with expression of language verbally and understanding verbal language as well. And then also there can be difficulties with reading and comprehending written language and with writing and or spelling. And aphasia really differs, as I said, from person to person in terms of its severity, its impact and its type. Um, it can present very overtly so that it's obvious maybe to the untrained eye or it can present very covertly where maybe people wouldn't realise that somebody actually has a language difficulty at all. Um, as I said before, it does commonly co-occur with motor speech disorders, but not always. And aphasia is highly correlated with social isolation and highly correlated with low mood as well. So I suppose I'm always mindful of asking people with aphasia how they're doing emotionally as well. So I suppose really um, the true experts here are Larry and Martin. So I think I'm going to be quiet and let them have their say. Thank you so much Aoife for that really comprehensive overview. And with that, I will ask yourself, Martin, if 
if you would give your perspectives on what is aphasia. Yes, it's a really good question from a lived experience because when I got my stroke in 2013, I had no, never heard of aphasia. I didn't know what aphasia was. So what I was suffering from with speech, not being able to, to get the words out and not being able to speak properly, I, I didn't know what the cause of that was. Or uh, I didn't know that there was a word for it as in aphasia. I mean, my initial reaction was that, you know, there was something just preventing me from talking and it was just connected to the stroke. But I didn't know that there was such a condition as aphasia. And I think that that's why um, something that we're doing today is so important um, to get the message out there. So for me, it was a lack of knowledge, a lack of awareness, and a lack of understanding. And now I think I can tick all of those boxes. And thank you so much, Larry, for your, or Martin, excuse me, for your insights. Um, really interesting to hear your perspectives on that. Thank you. And I'm going to ask yourself, Helen, now, um, if you wouldn't mind sharing your your thoughts. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, Aoife has given a, a fantastic explanation of what aphasia is and, and Larry in relation to what it's like to live with aphasia. So um, I don't have a huge amount extra to add, but I will say that like there are more people living with aphasia than many other conditions. Yet there is very poor awareness of the condition. And this is lack of awareness in the general public, but also businesses, public services, and even within the healthcare center uh, sector itself. Um, and this lack of understanding about what aphasia is and what it's not means that people living with aphasia are being excluded from participating in Irish society. Um, it's not just an Irish problem, this is a global problem, but we're thinking about Ireland here. And um, many people with aphasia have said to me that following their stroke, they feel quite isolated and quite lonely. Um, as many of their friends and relatives have gradually fallen away because of a lack of understanding about what aphasia is. And really importantly, once you understand what aphasia is, then you need to be um, taught or uh, facilitated in, in teaching somebody how to communicate effectively with somebody with aphasia. So it's knowing what aphasia is, what it isn't, and then how to communicate effectively with somebody with aphasia so that they can be involved in everyday Irish society. Thank you so much, Helen. I'm going to hand us over to Ruth now for the next uh, topic. Brilliant. Thanks, Molly. Um, so, Martin, I'm just wondering, what was it, you know, that motivated you to get involved in raising awareness of aphasia? You mentioned that you are a stroke survivor and that you've developed your understanding over time, your understanding and your knowledge and your awareness. But what is it that motivates you to advocate, I suppose, uh, in relation to aphasia? 
Yes, thanks, Ruth. I think I can answer that very easily by saying that um, I, I, I count myself as being lucky in that I can advocate and that I have a voice to advocate. And I think that what concerns me is the people out there with aphasia, with no voice, literally with no voice and uh, nobody to advocate for them. And that's the reason why I'm so uh, passionate about getting the, the message out there about aphasia, about explaining what aphasia is and about getting the correct message, as I think Aoife may have mentioned at the start, getting the correct message out there. But I think uh, I, I encounter a lot of people who uh, have very severe speech difficulties as a result of aphasia. And also they have uh, nobody then to advocate for them. So it is in providing a voice for the people with no voice. That's my uh, passion about it. Thanks, Martin. And can I, can I just ask you, Martin, when you say getting the correct message out there, what do you mean by that? Well, I think that particularly after the uh, announcement of Bruce Willis and his diagnosis in relation to um, aphasia, I mean, I sprung into action after that because I was really concerned that here we were, a third of people that suffer from a stroke and um, uh, with, with aphasia. And here our voice had been miscommunicated, if you like, yeah. because uh, the, the diagnosis in relation to, to Bruce Willis, uh, which is in relation to dementia, uh, suddenly people were given to understand that aphasia, that that's what it's related to. And that we weren't told in the message that went out there that one in three people that suffer from stroke have aphasia. And giving the correct message is very important. And that's why I became so, um, I, I suppose, active about it at that time in writing to the newspapers and doing what I could. Yeah, and Martin, thanks so much for those active contributions because they all of those things really help, don't they, to, to raise awareness of aphasia. Larry, I'm wondering if there's anything you want to add to that in terms of what is it that people need to know about aphasia from your perspective? I think, um, you know, aphasia awareness is, is about searching for a home for aphasia in the sense that you know, um, um, there, there's a there's a group of stroke people who have discovered that they have aphasia and what what they're going to do next. And one way of of, of actually doing something about it is is come to the cafe, uh, the aphasia home cafe is on, and it's it's a peer led with a group of uh, SLT people, and. Uh, it's a space, I suppose, for people with aphasia. But I just I want to point, point out something I think is important. People still have their intelli intelligence, you know. Um, 
you you don't understand, but it's it's a process in the, of of expressing ourselves, and people need to know that. Um, so they need to give time and patience to to, to the likes of us, uh, because once we have it and once we get into it, it, it comes out so we can talk, you know. Yeah. yeah. And Larry, thanks for bringing that up because I think that's such an important message that people living with aphasia have normal intelligence, you know, and that's that's such an important point to get across. So, so really appreciate you mentioning that there this morning. Um, Maeve, you're a speech and language therapist, and I know that you've done research in the area of public awareness of aphasia in Ireland. And I'm just wondering from your experience of doing that research and from your experience of analyzing all the data at the 600 responses you got they were, you know, to the survey questionnaire about aphasia awareness and knowledge of aphasia in the West of Ireland. What is it that you think people need to know about aphasia in Ireland? I suppose one of the the biggest points that came back from our research was that while one fifth of respondents or of people surveyed had heard of aphasia, so 19.7% of people had heard of aphasia, only 5.5% actually knew what it was. So this comes back to, to what Larry said and what Martin said about the importance of accurate information being given to the public. Um, so again, I saw everything that was going around about Bruce Willis and how it was very hard to see how inaccurate some of the information was and knowing that this is what the public are receiving and it's very difficult to know where to look for accurate information and knowing what words to Google even and just the basic things like that. Um, another result or another finding we had from our research was that the media, television, the internet and print media was one of the largest sources of information for people who did um, have awareness of aphasia or who had heard of it. So again, then that prompts us to look at some other research in terms of the accuracy of information in the media. And we found several papers that um, discussed how inaccurate information in the media is about aphasia. So by, by and large, like the media has such a huge role in raising awareness for conditions, especially aphasia. And it's so important that the information that is given to the public or that's available is accurate um, so that people are developing their understanding of what aphasia is and how they can support people with aphasia. That's yeah, really good points. And I suppose reflecting what Martin was saying earlier about accurate information. So, so Larry, I'm wondering then, just following on from that whole idea of, you know, accurate information in terms of aphasia awareness, what does good aphasia awareness mean to you as a stroke survivor and somebody living with aphasia? I think it's the, the importance of, of the, the general public knowing exactly what it, what it is and, and being educated about aphasia. I think it's important that, um, as I said earlier, th th there needs to be a home for aphasia that, that, that people can go and talk and have an adder and a bit of crack um, at the same time uh, in, in a conversation way. Um, because a lot of people like ourselves <clears throat> um, find it hard 
sometimes very sometimes some people are very uh, isolated and, and lonely. So we we set up uh, an interesting or not we um, um, people in Cork set up. Uh, the aphasia cafe and it's a great way a great channel for 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 people to to, to engage and to talk and have conversations so if anything was done it's it's about appreciating that people like ourselves with aphasia we are intelligent as i said earlier but we're also uh very interested to to to, to, to do the normal thing and to be in the normal uh, community and to, to, to do to do things, you know. So. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And and Helen, I'm coming to you next, um, because I know. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your involvement then in this aphasia cafe, which Larry has mentioned now a couple of times? Yes, yeah, sure. Um, it, we actually set it up in 2017. So I was approached by one of my speech and language therapy students, Rachel Boland, and she came to me with the idea of setting up the Aphasia Cafe. She was chair of the UCC Clinical Therapy Society at the time. And the aim of the cafe is really to reduce the social isolation of people living with aphasia so that they can meet other people with aphasia um, and chat and just practice even conversation just in an ordinary everyday setting that, um, you know, we all like to go for a cup of coffee or go for our lunch and chat with our friends. Um, so it was that sort of context. Um, Rachel was amazing. She located um, um, the Haven Cafe in Cork City, uh, which was accessible for people um, with mobility issues and um, facilitated training of the, the staff there um, with people with aphasia. And um, so it ran on a monthly basis uh, with the support of the um, ISLT student volunteers. Uh, so when Rachel graduated, it was it was important to try and sustain that. And, and that's one of the challenges, actually, it's, it's sustaining um, when we we raise awareness of something or we put something in place. It's a sustainability of that. Um, but when the pandemic hit, um, of course, we couldn't meet face to face and we weren't able to, to meet socially due to public health restrictions. And so I moved the cafe online and we set it up then to run every second Friday. And um, and it's, it's been very successful, actually. Um, my concern is that it would limit people who don't have access to technology. And, and yes. Um, unfortunately it does but many of the people at our group and um, their families set them up and just log them in um, and it's actually opened it up to people that otherwise wouldn't be able to attend a cafe physically so people in rural areas with people all over Ireland and um, with people from the UK um, with people from America and also India who don't have services in their own country you know dropping in just to chat um so why sorry am I talking too much Ruth? Well, no I, no that's 
That's brilliant, Helen, and it's great um, to hear about the Aphasia Cafe because obviously that's a place where there is going to be good awareness of aphasia amongst the um, people attending, you know, and and I'm just wondering for anyone listening, Helen, if somebody was listening and they wanted to join the Aphasia Cafe on a Friday or whatever, how would they do that? Like, what would they need to do? So they would need to just email me um, and I'm, my email address is helen.kelly at ucc.ie. And then I'll add them to an email list. And a couple of days before every cafe, they'll get an email um, with the link to join the cafe and some possible topics of conversation in case they want to prepare, um, you know, ahead of time. And, and then they just click on the link and join on the day. I think it's interesting what you're saying, Ruth, about uh, raising awareness, because we found that um, a lot of people who come to the cafe, even though they're living with aphasia, don't necessarily understand what aphasia is mm-hmm. or what's necessarily happening to them or their possible journeys. Um, and so awareness of aphasia is actually within the, the, the people living with aphasia community as well as the, the general population. A really good point, Helen, and it links back to what Aoife said at the outset about people, you know, being given this diagnosis um, of aphasia and not understanding what it is such an unusual word even. I mean, people haven't heard of it. And I know Maeve has just told us that from the research we did on public awareness of aphasia in, in Ireland. And there's such low level of um, awareness and knowledge of what aphasia is. So I suppose we're seeing common things coming across here um, from different perspectives. Is there anything that anybody else wants to add about, you know, what needs to be heard about aphasia or what good aphasia awareness is before we move on? Is there anything? Yeah, Larry? Yeah, I just want to, you know, point out that that the ASLT have done some great work with aphasia around the Phase Awareness Month. But I, I, I want to congratulate them because I don't know if the general public do know this or are aware of it. The ASLT came out with a card, and something like a jam card, but it's it's uh, it's very useful. And, uh, you know, I have had experiences myself um, and my language was very low. Um, my speaking was very poor, but uh, I hadn't got a card then. Um, and uh, looking back, uh, there were times when I was uh, uh, in the public arena, uh, 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 going into a local town, um, was stopped by the Gardaí. Um, and, you know, <laughs> to be stopped by a Gardaí is... is, is, is is, is, is tough enough, but to be stopped with a guardie and then start of trying to negotiate with them or talk to them or, or, or was a problem. But these cards are a useful thing, like you know that, and and I think Martin did some some tremendous work around aphasia with with, with the guardie, and I think Martin maybe that story could be told. Could you, yeah. could you tell that story? Yes, certainly, Larry. Um, uh, I and and that's the whole point. I, it, it was in speaking to somebody that had your experience of being stopped by the Gardaí, and 
you know, if all of us are stopped by the Gardaí, we're thinking, oh, is, have I everything in order? And uh, But not being able to tell the guard um, or, or answer the guard's questions is a really daunting experience. And I had a couple of different people said to me that they had really uh, bad experiences um, when they were stopped by the Gardaí. So I, again, I thought, well, this is something that we should uh, highlight. So I wrote to the Garda commissioner and I, I told the Garda commissioner the experiences and I said to him, could we do anything to inform uh, the members of Vangarda Shikona about the difficulties that people with aphasia and stroke would have uh, if they were stopped. And uh, to his credit, uh, the commissioner in, came back to me and he said, yes, uh, we certainly can. Uh, would you be prepared to participate in uh, a video and uh, that we could uh, do some kind of promotion? So I went to the Garda College and uh, we recorded a video and which is now available. And predominantly, the video was to be made available to the members of the force. Um, that was the whole idea of it. And to those training uh, particularly, and that the video would be shown to them so that they would be able to relate directly with a stroke survivor and somebody with aphasia. And it was also made available to, to those on other different media not just then to Angarda Shikana, they made it available publicly. And I think that has been very important. I've had uh, a lot of feedback from people to say how important that was. And it gave them confidence to be able to deal with Angarda Shikana if they were stopped, it gave them confidence. Thanks, Martin, for that story. and. You know, as I was listening to you there, I was just thinking you're you're absolutely right. Like if you're stopped at a checkpoint, you automatically start to feel anxious and nervous. And as you said, Martin, have I got everything in order? You know, so I can imagine then that trying to get the words that you want to get your message across becomes even more difficult. So that's fantastic work. And I suppose the other thought that struck me was that Maeve mentioned, you know, um, the research on public awareness and knowledge of aphasia, but obviously there is a whole, you know, there's tailored information perhaps for like members of the Garda Siakana or healthcare professionals or um, other public sector workers, for example. So there's a whole kind of range of people in our society that would benefit really from this work around aphasia advocacy and raising awareness of aphasia. So thanks and for if, that story, yeah. If I could, Ruth, <laughs> just make another point, and it is that uh, after I got my stroke and I didn't know what was happening to me when I had the stroke, and I drove a short distance from my work to my home, now, in hindsight, it was the most dangerous thing that I could have done. Um, but if I was stopped 
by a member of Angarda Shakana at that time, I would probably have been arrested because I wouldn't have been able to communicate. It would have appeared as if I was under the weather, uh, under the influence of alcohol, and those was only 10 o'clock in the morning. So that's why it is so, so important that we communicate, as you said, with the members of Angada Shakana and the other uh, sectors that we get the message across. Thanks, Martin. And you're definitely contributing to that message. Aoife, you have, you, you're going to come in there. You're one, you have a point. Well, I'm just chuckling to myself, Larry, you're welcome, because it was actually me who designed that card for ISLT. And it's so heartening to hear that it was of benefit. And I just want to make a point about sharing our work as clinicians. We've been making things like that for years. And just because I am the chairperson of the media committee with ISLT, I was making one in the clinic recently for a client and it was exactly for this reason he drives and I said if you're stopped by the guards you would be under time pressure so it's just so interesting to hear that it served a purpose for others but um, I just said sure it's as easy for me to contact Anne Barish from the web committee and get her to put it on you know I just logoed it up and we got it put up on the website iaslt.ie for anyone who's interested but just I want to encourage my fellow SLTs to share the beautiful resources you have with ISLT because some people don't have access to speech and language therapy and it's lovely to hear Larry that that had a benefit for you and wasn't that time well spent for me then as a clinician to benefit not only my client in front of me but somebody else some somewhere else who had a need I didn't even realize so I suppose just to say, if anybody has any resources that would be of use, please do send them to iaslt.media at gmail.com. Great. Thanks, Aoife. And there's lots of excellent resources that people might benefit from, from there. Molly, I'm going to hand over to you maybe to talk about some of the challenges um, of raising awareness of aphasia. Absolutely. Thank you, Ruth. And thanks to everyone. I'm just blown away by all the information and stories that you're sharing. So thank you. Um, I'm very interested in hearing about the, the kind of practicalities because you're also extensively involved in so many different ways. And I know that you all face challenges from, from speaking with you previously um, in terms not only of tailoring the message and, you know, raising awareness with different types of people in Ireland, but also maybe personal challenges in terms of your time and the burden of carrying this work as well. Um, so I'd be really interested in, in finding out more um, from your perspectives. I think people could learn an awful lot from your experiences as well. And Helen, um, I, it was one thing that struck me when you were speaking about the Home Cafe and even raising awareness uh, amongst potential members of the home cafe. And you pointed out two elements that struck me around tech access, um, but also around not necessarily uh, that people with aphasia themselves would ha have an understanding. So that idea that there isn't necessarily a sort of united aphasia community as such and and actually that is one of the barriers potentially but i don't know if you have any thoughts on that or any advice for people on those elements 
Yes, I think it, it is a challenge. Um, and I think it's a challenge for us in Ireland as well, because we're um we've a smaller research focused, uh, aphasia focused community. And um the I I think some of the challenges that we've come across in the cafe, so we have um done a lot of created a lot of materials from people with aphasia, about people with aphasia uh, for the June Awareness Month, for example. And so we have short video clips we have of what it's like to live with aphasia. We've uh, quotations from people with aphasia um, for the purpose of the, the June Awareness Month. And um, the information about aphasia is also scattered in different places. So the accurate information um, for example, you know, the Irish Heart Foundation, importantly, the IASLT. Um, and so I think it's difficult for people to know where to look when there's so many places to look. And then if they're on the beginning of, you know, at the beginning of their aphasia journey, which information is useful, which information is accurate. Um, and so one thing that um I have, um, I lead a small group, as I said earlier, of people um, who have aphasia and Larry and Martin are part of that group as well, and yourself, Molly. Um, and we've been meeting to discuss maybe how we can bring all of that together. And at the moment, I have um, a student, a UCC student in digital humanities, and he's creating a website for the Aphasia Cafe but with um with aphasia awareness as as a focus for that and i suppose things that we're going to include is you know the accurate information uh, what aphasia is what it's not um and linking it to um you know those accurate sources such as the iaslt um also we want to show the impact of aphasia uh, on people's lives and although we haven't really spoken about it here yet, the impact on family lives and the carers' lives, it's huge. It's absolutely huge. And so that's something we want to kind of capture as part of this website as well. Um, we're hoping to do testimonials um, and, um, you know, uh, the, so short video clips of the lived experience of, of people. But then also... At the other side of the journey, and, and Larry and Martin have shown how successfully they're living with aphasia and what they're doing in their daily lives. And it is possible to, to live successfully with aphasia. So I'm aware of people who have their own businesses now, have gone to university, have gone back to work, have blogs. You know, there's lots and lots of other organisations. And, and so we want to capture this as well. So it gives people hope, whichever part of the journey that they're on. So the information is about aphasia, the impact of aphasia, but how people can live successfully with aphasia. And as I said, linking it to um, good solid um, sources and resources that people can then access. Um, that's our plan uh, because it's just really difficult to, to sustain and maintain and update information on a, on a regular basis. 
Thank you so much. Such rich, uh, valuable insights there, Helen, for bringing so much stuff together and highlighting a need for, for a kind of centralised um, or kind of one-stop shop almost for bringing together and signposting lots of different types of information. Um, really important points and thank you. And it, it struck me as well, I was thinking, Martin, about your experience you mentioned at the start that, that um, or earlier in our conversations that you hadn't um, an awareness of what aphasia was in those early stages. And, and obviously for yourself as an advocate now, um, so extensively involved in aphasia awareness raising, I wondered what was the journey for yourself in addressing that challenge? How did you come to, to have that awareness or how was that challenge addressed for you and possibly what needs to be done from your perspective so that other people don't have to face that challenge in knowing about their own aphasia. Yes, I, I think that for me in um, understanding and in, uh, in promoting and in advocating, um, I think that it was, it all started for me really with a group that was brought together um, in South Tipperary in Clanmel, a group that was brought together by the speech and language therapists and uh, the therapist based in South Tipperary and was in bringing us together to, um, as a kind of a social outlet, if you like, in, in one way, but in yet uh, in, in uh, creating awareness and um, in understanding that we were on a particular journey and how could we help each other on that journey and that's why i think what the speech and language therapist did for us in south tipperary was that they put us on a pathway and as a result we were able to to uh, do something really major we uh, we had uh, organized the very first regional stroke conference. And because of, 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 uh, of that, we were able to do that. We were able to work together and organize a conference and bring speakers together. And we're planning to do a second conference because COVID got in the way. Uh, we're planning to do a second conference, uh, maybe later September, October time. And I think that that's a very important um, aspect that we could do that as a small group, that we were given the confidence by the speech and language therapist to say, look, here's something that you can get your teeth into and that you can spread awareness also. And uh, that uh, we were able to, to have aphasia as a key aspect to the conference so that we were spreading the message. And I think that, you know, the more things like that, that we can do together. And for me, it was, I think, in seeing that, look, I can, I can help others. I can help the other people in the group um, to do something and to be part of something really positive. And I think that we can all do that in our everyday lives and we can encourage people. And, you know, there are people that I mentioned, I think earlier, that would have different levels of communication difficulties. And yet 
everyone on that group was able to contribute in some way. And that's the important thing. And that the, apart from the social aspect, which was so important, that we, there was great sense of pride that we were able to do that. Thank you so much um, for sharing that uh, and the idea of a conference and that you're going to be holding a second one in South Tip is just so wonderful. And I'm hoping that it will, I mean, it must go some way to addressing that lack of understanding that, that Maeve, your, your data has shown us in Ireland. And, and actually, I'd love to come to yourself, Maeve, to, to link in with that data and I'm wondering, so obviously the, the findings on the numbers of people maybe who'd both heard of aphasia, but then also had an understanding of what aphasia actually is and, and how we might address the challenge of, of reversing that gap, perhaps. And I know also you spoke about the, the role of the media in reversing that gap and making sure that the information is accurate. Um, but yes, I wonder if you've any thoughts on that. Yeah, so I suppose from our findings, we found that um, females actually had seemed to have more awareness and more knowledge than males. Um, they knew they had more females had heard of aphasia and more females were able to identify the traits of aphasia than males were. Um, we also categorized everyone based on occupation into different categories. And the category that had the most awareness and aphasia was people who were retired or students. So um, again, we could have pulled that out a bit further to look at it, but we didn't get an opportunity to. So we've kind of left it at that overall cohort, that overall category. But I think that that um, reflects a lot on what areas need to be targeted and where the, the lower levels of awareness were and like, what needs to be done to build on that so obviously males is an area for development um so to target male a male audience in developing their awareness and their understanding of what aphasia is and as well as that i suppose it's been touched on previously um targeting different sectors and especially public servants people who are working with the public and who will encounter people with aphasia and who will need to support them um so like it does give us some information for target audiences or target populations that could be um that can be identified and that can be targeted after this um another thing that we noticed from our findings was that Obviously, the media was a huge source of awareness, but also work was identified as a source of awareness for a lot of people. Um, so it, this kind of comes back to a lot of the international research where healthcare workers had the most awareness and the most knowledge of aphasia. So they had heard of it through their work um, as nurses, as doctors, as um, whatever other professions they were. So that's just another important piece of learning that we got from that that can be used for um, raising awareness and understanding of aphasia. Thank you so much, Maeve. Such interesting insights as well around maybe different groups having different needs in terms of awareness um, materials and also maybe intensity of, of focusing on particular groups um, for more impact. Um, but Larry, I think perhaps you may have had your hand raised at some point. Did you have anything you'd like to add uh, there? Yeah, sorry about that. Um, 
one of the things that that struck me was um, the reality of Donegal and the reality of the west of Ireland and the lack of facilities. And um, when I had my 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 stroke and 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 the came out with aphasia, I set up the different strokes for different folks group, uh, specifically for people who live in, in, in rural, rural, rural West Donegal. But the point I want to make is uh, it, it was a, a, an opportunity for the health services to come on board with us. And, and they did that very well, that I worked closely uh, with the CNR team here in, in, in Balbuffet. And uh, the CNR team uh, comprised of, of a um, neuropsychologist, uh, social worker, um, speech and language therapist, which was vitally important. Um, but when we got we got them to work with us, we formulated the, the the different strokes for different folks group, and then we discovered things like there are people in our group who don't talk to don't talk don't talk that much, and. I, I kind of noticed that straight away, and, and, and I, I was very interested because they came to our group for connectedness, for social connectedness, but yet there was no verbal words going on and there was no discussions going on and coming from them. And we, over a period of years, got some money together to, to do projects, and we'd done a couple of videos, and we went out and went out to, to, to the local parks and, 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 and we engaged in conversations. And I, I, I really want to say this because it's a, it's a vital and importance to me that social connectedness doesn't stop at the hospital gate, doesn't stop in the community services. It's, it's engaging people and we are going forward with different strokes, different folks now in the Yellowwood Arts program. And that's a stimulation for people with aphasia to have a, a real true opportunity. And uh, I, 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 uh, I, I would like to encourage people to have a wee look uh, at, our, uh, at our video uh, on, on uh, the Yellowwood Arts because we have people there with aphasia who don't communicate that well during during any time of the day, but they sang and the, the, the movement of dance. And it, it was a tremendous thing to, to, to engage, even me with aphasia, with other people with aphasia, just to see that and, and to hear it. And, and I, I would encourage anybody to, to have a look at that. Thanks. Thanks so much, Larry. Um, I wonder, could you give a brief overview of, of actually what the Yellowwood Arts is and where people might find more information about mm. the community? Well, to be honest with you, we're, we're right in the middle of, of setting it up. Um, we, we, we have a, um, a Twitter account um, and we have a Facebook account uh, on, on, on Yellowwood Arts. Um, but it's that important thing about um, aphasia that that making a social connection and, and being engaged with people. I mean, even to sit in a room, have a conversation. Uh, 
normal people. I don't know what that means, but people who who have naturally have a conversation do it well. But in the aphasia world, sometimes it could be sitting in a group having a cup of tea, not speaking at all. It could be it could be one or two words, maybe in the, in, in the whole conversation of an hour. Um, so what what are we what are we going to do? We're going to try and bring people uh, in the world those who love the experience of aphasia and stroke uh, into a world with with with, with other people. Um, so we're we're excited about that, um, and um, I think that uh, if, if if we can actually do that, uh, we we are doing a good job. Thank you, and, and that's great advice as well about what we need to be doing. Um, I wonder, Aoife, if I could come to you, just given your extensive uh, number of roles and hats that you wear um, in this arena, I wonder, do you have any advice or what have the challenges been, um, you know, advice in particular around, you know, raising awareness in, diff in different policy forums that you're involved in or with other health professions as well? Um, as well as the people that you're working with in your clinical practice. Have you any advice? Yes, I've loads of thoughts anyway. And I suppose it's good to be solution focused. Like we know we need to get the word aphasia out there. So, you know, you could get very disheartened and say, oh, like, what can we do? But I actually really believe in saying, well, what can we do? And like, I just think even for the SLTs listening today, in your clinic, use the word aphasia as much as you can, because sometimes we say, oh, a language difficulty or, oh, your receptive language, or, but getting that word aphasia out there and giving people ownership of the condition they are living with. And I think as well as clinicians, I'm just thinking of clinicians, first of all, speech and language therapists, when you're talking to families the loved ones of people who are living with aphasia use the word aphasia as much as you can again and allow time in your sessions to acknowledge what aphasia is and allow time to provide education in supporting conversation and supported conversation techniques and kind of allowing people to be rather than always focusing on the fix and I think you know as a younger clinician I probably needed a bit of permission to do that so I think it's valuable just to say that today um, and then when you're talking with your colleagues, I'm just thinking again, individually, what can you do? Well, give them a good handover as to what aphasia is. How is this person with aphasia impacted? You know, um, how can they prop the conversation? What props can they use to support better communication with this person with aphasia? And we know that communication is about so much more than what we say. And I'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. Um, and then from the Irish Association of Speech and Language Therapists perspective, I think they've been doing a lot. And this podcast is part of the Aphasia Awareness Month, which was in June. And I suppose just by the time we all got together to meet, um, it's going to be broadcast a little bit later, but it will be there forever for people to listen back on. And I think the ISLT have increased their links with the likes of the Aphasia Home Cafe. And that's very, very valuable as we've all heard um, today. And we've developed some resources for the website. And obviously we'd love to develop more aphasia friendly resources for the IASLT website. And it's very exciting to hear of the work that's ongoing. And there's an example, maybe I didn't realize that was happening and I'm so excited and heartened 
to hear of that work ongoing. And sometimes we don't need to reinvent the wheel if we just share our resources, um, because we all know the resources are so skeletal at times. So we do need to share. And I suppose it goes back to that theme <laughs> I referred to earlier on, sharing is good. And then also the ISLT have a lot of links with the Irish Heart Foundation who are doing loads of consultation with stakeholders, people with aphasia, asking them, what do you need? And doing things like upskilling their own staff in supported conversation techniques. They would have linked with Molly and I and employed the services of Discover UK to provide training to their staff in how to support people with aphasia. So I think that was really positive. And I suppose then when I think of my health and social care professional and medical and nursing colleagues, I suppose anecdotally, I'm often told um, by my colleagues who aren't SLTs that they received very little training any formal training at undergraduate or postgraduate level on aphasia or how to support conversations with people who have acquired communication difficulties. So I think that should really be included in all um, professional training programs. And actually, I'd go as far as to say everybody should have training in how to be a good conversation partner and support a conversation techniques. I'd go as far as to say it should be included on the secondary school curriculum, because for me, it has benefited me so well in my personal life, as well as my professional life, to be a trained conversation partner. And um, I suppose just couple of things to clarify from my end while I have the opportunity and it's been said today already we need to be really clear that aphasia does not impact a person's intelligence or ability to make informed decisions with the right supports in place so like we need to get that word out there loud and clear um, and then just another thing and I, it's been kind of referred to today but I just want to go back to it because it is so important speech or verbal output is only one small part or one form of communication and as speech and language therapists we work with people with aphasia to support their communication through lots of alternative means of communication like what Larry was describing earlier on um, sometimes we use assistive technology gesture writing down drawing body language facial expression touch um, they're just some examples of how we communicate with people uh, not verbally. And um, some of the best communicators I know say very, very little. So it goes back to the cup of coffee at the aphasia support group, you know, and a little glance like we, I, some of my clients, they crack jokes non-verbally. It's just brilliant. Um, so I suppose, sorry, now I'm probably gone on a tangent, but it is linked, I suppose, with the question. So it's just so much to say. You could keep talking all day. Thank you so much, Aoife. Uh, Gosh, such wonderful, wonderful points made um, relevant to so many arenas as well. Really appreciate that. Um, I'm conscious of time um, and I wanted to just give some closing remarks uh, to panel members. If there's anything you would like to say before we finish up. Helen, I can see that your hand is raised there. Thanks, Molly. Um, I guess I just want to say something in relation to research. Um, uh, so we know around one in four adults will experience a stroke in their lifetime, according to the World Stroke Organization, and more than three, a third of these people will experience aphasia. And so aphasia can be a long term condition. And so people are living their lives 
day to day. But their people with communication difficulties are systematically excluded from research. So not only clinical research, so there may be lots of stroke uh, studies going on, but they don't include people with aphasia, which is a huge part of the stroke population, but also just social research studies, the day to day um, research that, um, you know, people are, might like to be involved in. But we spoke about, and Aoife, you reiterated it there, um, that people with aphasia have the capacity to consent and participate in research. Okay. And if you also explained that it can affect someone's ability, what they hear or read, uh, challenges expressing themselves in spoken and written modalities. But researchers can contact and link with and collaborate with speech and language therapists who can help make their research more accessible. Um, so information sheets, consent forms, all of that kind of thing. Um, also, Ruth, this is your area of expertise, so I won't go into it too much, but we're all encouraged to embrace patient or public involvement in designing the research, which we hope will influence and impact um, society positively, but very little research includes people with aphasia um, on the research team or research committees and influencing bodies, and this is something that needs to change. So it's actually unethical to exclude people or not facilitate their participation just because it's a bit more challenging. And I go as far as to say the systematic exclusion of a group of people based on their disability is discriminatory. So I would really encourage people who are doing research, you know, to consider the population of people with communication difficulties, such as aphasia, um, link in with um, speech and language therapists, um, researchers who work with people with um, aphasia and, and make their research more representative of uh, the population that they're um, or the topic that they're, they're focusing on. And can I just add to that, Helen, with my public and patient involvement hat on, I suppose, um, we've just published a paper in aphasiology and the last section of that paper is top tips that were written by two people living with aphasia who have experience of doing research in aphasia. And it was their top tips for other people who would like to include people with aphasia in research. So I might ask Aoife, because there's a number of resources that have been mentioned in this podcast. So a couple of the paper there about public awareness of aphasia that Maeve mentioned, and we mentioned print media, the different strokes and resources that Larry mentioned, lots of things you mentioned there, Aoife, in relation to IASLT and the Home Cafe, of course, that Helen was talking about. And maybe in addition to this podcast, we might be able to put together some little uh, resources, links even to those resources for people who might be interested and would like to read more or would like to get involved in the home cafe and would have the information about how to do that, Helen, in writing as well as, uh, I suppose, verbally. So would that be OK if I'm asking you that? I was putting you on the spot now in your media yeah. IASLT role. 
No problem. If you keep an eye on IASLT, we're on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And I'm sure Helen's group in the Home Cafe would promote these. Um, so we'll signpost people. We'll collate something and put it together. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know what it'll be yet, but <laughs> we Even sure it. will. Yeah. Thanks, Eva. So I think we were just going to the panel for our final word because amazingly we have reached our hour and we said we we would stick to an hour but there's so much to talk about but maybe we could go to each panel member and Martin I'm going to start with you because you've got your hand up there and um, so just a word really on a final thought for people listening today about aphasia awareness. Martin. Yes thank you. Um... What I was going to say was that the key person in all of this is the person with the lived experience, and that's the person that's suffering from aphasia. And it is very important that they be included in anything. I mean, we need the professionals, and the professionals need us, and vice versa. But it is important that there's full inclusion um, with the, lived, the person with the lived experience. And for me, that's a crucial thing with my involvement and in different aspects is that we must include the person uh, with the lived experience. Thanks, Martin. That's really powerful, inclusion. Helen, your final thought. My final thought, so if somebody wants to raise awareness of aphasia, just go for it, no matter how big or small um, your idea is, you know, reach out, contact other people with aphasia, uh, follow people with aphasia on social media, retweet their posts, and um, maybe contact charities such as the Irish Heart Foundation, Pre Headway Ireland, find out how you could maybe get involved. Um, and you know researchers universities whatever um way just go for it reach out and uh, nothing is too small it's about sustaining and maintaining and you know a presence um and just perhaps use different sorts of media so we've spoken about print we spoke about social media and you know um all sorts uh, interviews etc um you can maybe contact and target People target sense a bit aggressive, you know. You can you can get your message out there to a range of people who maybe have a preferred, um, you know, way of getting information. Thanks, Helen. So go for it. Great. And Maeve, your final thought. Yeah. So again, in line with what Helen was saying, um, for people who are considering raising awareness or who feel really motivated after listening to this podcast to raise awareness of aphasia, um, I suppose the more advocates that are out there who are supporting people with aphasia and who are talking about aphasia, the more people they're going to reach and they're going to touch. So um, even if it improves the life of one person with aphasia, that's a huge win. Um, so I suppose uh, by increasing understanding of aphasia, that has knock-on effects for funding, for services, and for all those nationwide things that we often feel helpless about and that we often feel we have nothing that we can do to help with it. So I suppose just start small and go from there. 
Thanks, Maeve. That's great advice. And and Larry, your final thought. Yeah, I, I think a lot about the healing power of art. Um, and uh, that question was asked earlier from Molly. Um, but I, I think that creative activities, um, you know, it, it does relieve stress and, the, and, and it aids communications. So, you know, it helps to, 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 uh, to bring communication on further. So I, I, I'd be one to, 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 to put the show on the road and say, listen, let's get on and let's try and do it, you know. Thanks, Larry. And it strikes me listening to you again, Larry, you really are bringing us back to communication is so broad. You've mentioned dance, you've mentioned art, you've mentioned drama, you know, lots of different ways of communicating. So that's that's really important message. Thanks, Larry. And Eva, your final thought for today. I suppose as a clinician, I'll speak to the clinicians. I would say person centered care is key. Don't be afraid to think outside the box, collaborate with the people with aphasia, listen to them. Um, as a clinician, listen to the person with aphasia. What do you want from speech and language therapy? It's very different for different individuals. Ask them what made life worth living before the stroke and use that to collaborate with them and set goals with relevant materials. Um, and I suppose, yeah, um, that's it, like a person-centred approach. Everyone is so different and listen to the people with aphasia. Thanks, Aoife. Really good advice there. Molly, do you want to have a final thought as well? We might as well, Molly, join in. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, I just have to echo um, what uh, many people here were saying, um, including Martin there, who raised the idea of inclusion, meaningful inclusion of people with aphasia. And I would uh, almost, well, I would say that really it's about um, facilitating and enabling people with aphasia themselves to shape the agenda for what research is done, how policy, uh, relevant policies are delivered and implemented, and also what types of services are available, not just health services, but more beyond and, and having flexible options for what's available, whether it's arts-based support, support in the community, support with, you know, returning to work, supporting with parenting and all the rest of it, as well as support for people living with aphasia, including family members and, and you know, a wide range of friends and other people in this in the support network as well. Um, so, yeah, and, and thank you. Thank you to everyone. Um, I've learned a whole bomb of information today and I really appreciate being part of this. Thanks, Molly. And I suppose finally, I would say from my experience of working with people with aphasia as partners in research, in service delivery, in service evaluation, it's just so much more fun, so much more enjoyable and so much more targeted um, when people with aphasia are involved in all aspects of whether it's a research project or whether you're thinking about you know, a ther therapy or service delivery, it's just so much more relevant um, when you have people with aphasia involved. So that's my final thought. And again, just to thank each and every person on the panel today for their time, Maeve, Helen, Aoife, Larry, Martin, and to Molly um, and myself, it was a privilege to co-facilitate this session. Thanks, everyone.